symbol of the Christian church. Some people uh, would say that, uh, or would think naturally, that the cross was the very first symbol of the Christian church, but in fact it was the fish. The fish represented uh, a, a person who was a believer. And you'll remember maybe from last week that if a person wanted to, uh, to let somebody know that they were a believer, what they would do is just with their foot make an arc, maybe on the ground in the sand or maybe in the dust on a table or whatever. And the person they were standing beside, if they were a believer, they would complete the ark by doing the, the, doing the same thing. So, so let's say I was here in the midst of, uh, you know, crowd of people here. I don't know if you're Christians or not. And if I go ahead and make that sign and you complete it, well, that tells me that you are a believer. This was what they actually did back in the very first, uh, first centuries of the Christian church. We've adopted that symbol as a reminder that you and I identify with Jesus Christ. This is who we are. We identify with Christ. Last week, we talked about the fact that we uh, have life through Jesus Christ. That green uh, bar, that green vertical bar, which makes up part of the cross, represents life. We said that it's through Jesus Christ that we have life. But you'll notice today that... The horizontal piece of the cross actually is a red section. It's better up there. You can see it better. But in this light, it looks orange. This, this actually represents the blood of Jesus Christ. When I was in Burundi this past uh, summer, we did a pastor's conference. And at the end of the conference, we had a time of communion. And those who don't know what communion is, it's basically uh, celebrating the death of Christ by taking part in, in the, the symbols of Christ's death, which is the blood and body of Christ. We had spent some time praying and waiting in the presence of God, and then finally one of the pastors uh, went over to the band and asked them to play a song, to sing a song. And uh, it was a Swahili song. Now, understand that the people in Burundi speak Kurundi. Uh, many of them do know uh, some Swahili, but uh, for whatever reason, this pastor felt the need to do that. And uh, here's, the, here's the cool thing, folks. The song uh, that they sang is Damu Ya Yesu, Damu Ya Yesu, Damu Ya Yesu. Oh, the blood of Jesus, oh, the blood of Jesus, oh, the blood of Jesus that makes me white as snow. I first learned this song 43 years ago and hadn't heard it since. My uncle's a missionary to Kenya, where they spoke Swahili, and when he was home on furlough, his kids were visiting with us, and they taught my brothers, and my sister, and I this song, Oh, the Blood of Jesus, in Swahili, Damu Ya Yesu. Now, here's the neat thing, folks. When my cousin explained to me what the song meant, Oh, the Blood of Jesus, it washes white as snow. It makes, it cleans me. It washes me. I remember that as just a, about, I was about eight years old, I remember thinking, this is the most amazing thing I'd ever heard. It was at that time that God began to stir in my heart. Uh, first of all, uh, he stirred in my heart uh, a need to, to come to him and have the reality of that song applied to my own life. And then the second part was that uh, God, I felt, was calling me to go and tell the good news about the words of that song, to tell others that the blood of Christ could cleanse people. Now, very, very special for me to experience that because of the very fact that it 
marked the very, very beginning of my own experience, my own walk with God. I want to say this. When, we talk, when it comes to discussing the blood of Jesus Christ, this is, a, this is not the kind of conversation that, that people want to have. Uh, we don't want to talk about it in church uh, because we're afraid that we might offend people who maybe are not familiar with the faith. Uh, we don't like to sing about it. We don't like to sing about the blood of Jesus. Remember this, the old hymn, Oh, the blood of Jesus? Uh, no, what is it? There's power in the blood. Anybody remember that song? Would you be free? Don't like to sing that anymore because people might be offended by it. People that don't understand Christianity might think, oh, well, you know, that's, the, that's Christianity. That's Judaism for you. It's their blood religion. Well, look it. It's easy to make broad, general statements about something that you don't understand. And so what's critical, folks, is to understand, number one, that Christianity is, in fact, uh, a faith that, that talks about blood a lot. But the, actually, the other thing that you need to understand, that it, were it not for the shedding of Christ's blood, then you and I would be absolutely 100% hopelessly lost. There would be no hope of eternity. There'd be no hope of life. The horizontal, uh, the, the vertical member of our logo that represents the cross, we said that, was, that represented life. But I'm going to tell you this, there could be no life without death. And, the, and we're talking about the death of Jesus Christ. Now listen to me. It is absolutely critical that you understand what the blood of Jesus Christ represents and that you understand what the blood of Christ does for you and for me. We've incorporated it into our logo because we want you to be reminded for the rest of your life that you have life because of the blood of Jesus Christ. It is impossible to enjoy the abundant life, the blessings of the Christian life, without first understanding that at the very foundation of our faith is the shedding of Christ's blood. Pastor Allen, this is not very... This is not very um, uplifting stuff you may feel but you're going to see in a moment that in fact from Genesis to Revelation runs what we call a crimson thread the blood thread and you will see how in fact Jesus Christ is the instrument used by God to bring life to you and me now here's what the Bible says and this is why we cannot leave this message out in spite of the fact that many churches are leaving this message out because they don't want to offend anybody's sensibilities. We cannot leave this message out. We must talk about this because of this scripture verse which, which says in Hebrews 9.22, in fact, read it with me, in fact, read it with me, in fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Now, if you look at the terms Old Testament and New Testament, here's what you're going to discover. The Old Testament talks about a blood contract, and the New Testament talks about a new blood contract. Pastor Allen, what are you talking about? Well, I'd have to take you back to the night just before Jesus was crucified, before Jesus actually died and shed his blood. And here's what he did. Jesus broke the bread and gave it to his disciples. And what did he say? Take eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. And then he took the cup of wine and he, and he says, 
This cup is the new covenant, listen, the new covenant, the new contract in my blood. This is the New Testament in my blood. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim my death until I return. Now listen to me, folks. The message, the message of the Christian church has got to be this. Jesus Christ died so that you and I could live. A church that fails to proclaim that message is not proclaiming the true message of the faith. I know that some people are maybe offended by that message, and some people would say, you know what, it's such a barbaric message. It's barbaric if you don't understand it. So my, my hope this morning is that you'll begin to understand what the Old Testament is about and what the New Testament is about. And I'm going to tell you this. The Old Testament is about atonement. The New Testament is about atonement. Pastor Allen, what does atonement mean? Well, very simply it means this. Atone means at one meant. In other words, reconciliation. It means that God and I become one. And it makes and it's made possible through Jesus Christ. Okay, so in order to understand all this, what we've got to do is we've got to go right to the beginning. So let's go to the book of Genesis. Let's go to the very front of the Bible. And we do, what we discover in Genesis 1, chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 is that things are beautiful. Things are pure, things are, are holy, things are clean. In fact, God declares that everything that he's created is good. In fact, it's not just good, it's very good. It's fantastic. And then suddenly Adam and Eve, who are enjoying the splendors of a pure paradise, and that's what it was. It was, it was paradise. There was no evil, there was no darkness, there was no sin, there was... There was no sign or evidence of anything bad. It was only good. And then suddenly they broke the law of God, and God had one command. Remember what the command was? You can eat anything you want in this garden. You can do whatever you want. It's all yours. There's only one thing you can't do. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because when you take the fruit and eat it, you'll surely die. Now here's the thing. Adam and Eve decided they weren't going to believe God. Can I remind everybody that faith is believing God and doing what he says? That's what faith is in a nutshell. They decided they weren't going to believe God and they weren't going to do what God said. And in that moment that they took the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it was at that moment that sin and darkness entered in and everything changed. Darkness now had descended upon the earth. Adam and Eve are kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And then we begin to see horrible things begin to unfold. Their beloved sons are quarreling now. That never happened before the fall. That never happened before sin entered in. And next thing you know, Cain murders his brother. Folks, we're talking in the very first few chapters of the Bible. Very first few chapters in Genesis. We go from a pure, pristine utopia, paradise. It's gorgeous, it's beautiful. To now... This hateful, dark, and wicked world where husband and wife are turned against each other, where brothers are turned against each other. They're murdering each other. Listen to this. It gets so bad that by the time we get to Genesis chapter 6, chapter 7, God actually has to send a flood to destroy the world because the perversion, the evil, the wickedness has, has reached record heights and... 
God can't take it anymore. And he sends a flood and puts an end. He literally cleanses the world because it's so bad. Now, you and I can't fully comprehend or understand how dark and how wicked and how perverse and twisted the world to become. But I'm going to tell you this. We will know it fairly soon. Because Jesus says this, that in the end times, in the last days, the world will become like as in the days of Noah. How many understand that right now the world is going in that direction? We're hearing of things, we're seeing things, what we never heard of before. I never thought that in the course of my lifetime, I would see the sort of things that are happening in our world today. We're talking, uh, uh, we're talking about such evil that I can't mention it here, but it's stuff that you and I hear on TV. It's the stuff that missionaries went and experienced as they tried to preach the gospel to pagans in, in remote parts of the world. Cannibalism. Sex with children, perverted sex, twisted sex, all kinds of things that you can begin to imagine. Folks, listen to me. This is the way the world is going now. And God says that when, when it becomes like as in the days of Noah, then that will be the end, and that's when Jesus will return. Pastor, why are you telling all this? I'm telling you this so that you begin to get an understanding of what sin looks like. And why God is not just a loving God, why God is a just God. Because a lot of us have this idea that God is full of grace, full of mercy, full of love, and he is. But what a lot of people don't know is that God is also a God of justice. In fact, folks, listen to me. Love is meaningless without justice. We need justice in order for the love of God to prevail. Does this make sense this morning? Think about it for a moment. What would happen if all of a sudden the police said, you know what, we don't need a police force anymore, and guess what, we don't need laws anymore. What would happen? It would be a state of anarchy, a state of lawlessness. It would be a state of everybody doing whatever he wants, whatever she wants. And you know where that goes. Film producers have produced films over the past 20, 30 years depicting what they think the world would look like in a, it, it, where, where anarchy reigns. Has anybody ever heard of Mad Max? There's all kinds of new films that are out. We, there's books written that, that try to describe a world where there is lawlessness. Folks, I'm going to tell you, it's not a pretty thing. It's not a pleasant sight. In fact, it's downright horrifying. Now, God's love for us is demonstrated in his justice, in his insistence that there be justice on the earth and that sin must be paid for. There must be a price. And this is why we read in the scripture that the wages of sin is death. Because sin, when it's taken to its extreme, is about hatred, Pain, murder, mayhem, perversion, darkness. And God's love will not allow that. You need to understand that about Christianity. And so God says, uh, I've got a plan for this world that is so steeped in darkness and sin. And so we find God 
raising up a man by the name of Moses. You heard of Moses? He led the children of Israel out of Egypt. And what else does he do? God gives Moses a law, a law for his people. What does this law do? This law instructs the people how to live. But even beyond that, the law of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, basically from Exodus to Deuteronomy, God shows us how we can gain relationship with him, atonement at one minute, how we can have relationship with God. And so what happens is that God institutes what we call a sacrificial system. And once a year, the children of Israel, the Jewish people, they celebrate Yom Kippur. Has anybody ever heard of Yom Kippur? It's basically the Day of Atonement. It's the 10th day of the seventh month. And on that Day of Atonement, the people come before God and they make a sacrifice. Sacrifice, sacrificing sheep and bulls and, and, and lambs. Specifically, on the Day of Atonement, the priest would take two goats. One goat would be the sacrificial goat, paying the price for our sins, and the other goat is called the scapegoat. Now, there's people who read, the, read through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and say, it's boring, I don't get it. Listen to me, there's nothing boring about it. What you're going to see there is God's plan to bring reconciliation between himself and us. The, ship, the priest lays his hands on the scapegoat and he imputes all the sins, transfers all the sins of Israel onto the head of the goat. He said, well, it's just symbolic. Yeah, you're right, it is symbolic. And then they drive that scapegoat out of, out of the land and in that way, that goat represents the sins of the people being driven away. Now listen to me. It's symbolic, folks. It's representative. It's a yearly reminder to people that they are sinful and need to be forgiven, that their sins need to be washed away. And this is why we read in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. Listen to this. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow. It was a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system, that's the Old Testament system, were repeated again and again and again and again, literally, folks, for hundreds of years, year after year. But they, listen to this, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. It's a shadow. The Old Testament is a shadow of what's to come. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of what we read about in the Old Testament. So listen to me. Next time you read your Old Testament, stick the Jesus filter into your head and start reading the Old Testament, understanding that Jesus Christ is seen throughout the books of the Old Testament. A lot of people don't know that. And folks, we haven't got time today, but I can show you literally hundreds of shadows, of symbols, of types, if you will, that show us Jesus in the Old Testament pages. And we see it in the sacrificial system. And so the people of Israel, they sacrificed the goats to take away their sin. But, but the writer of Hebrews tells us clearly it wasn't good enough. It wasn't perfect. And so therefore, it needed to be done over and over and over again. Because it's a justice system. Sin has got to be atoned for. Sin has got to be paid. 
and God's love for us provides a way for our, our sin to be taken away. But it's not complete. It's a shadow. And for that reason, the sacrificial system is ongoing. So here's what you and I need to know today as you read through the Old Testament. The whole Old Testament, the blood contract, if you will, points to Jesus Christ. It points to our need of Jesus Christ. Why do we need Jesus Christ? Why do we need Jesus to die for us? Why do we need Jesus to shed his blood for us? My friends, listen to me. It's the only way that we can satisfy the God of this universe. It's the only way that your sins and my sins can be washed away. You can't wash your sins away. You can never be good enough. Look, at for hundreds of years, for thousands of years, Jewish people have tried to keep all the laws, but guess what? They can never do it. Nobody can ever do it. This is why the Apostle Paul says, oh, wretched man that I am. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. Who'll save me from this wretched cycle? And then finally he says, ah, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Some of you here today, you know what I'm talking about. The cycle of guilt, of shame, the cycle you, you try to get it right, you try to do the right things, you try to please God, you try to please everybody, and you keep fumbling, you keep stumbling, you keep making mistakes. And you think that, man, if I just maybe become Roman Catholic and I do some penance and beat myself up a little bit, maybe that'll solve the problem. Anybody ever heard of, hear of Martin Luther? Not Martin Luther King Jr., but Martin Luther. Over 500 years ago, feeling guilt and feeling shame for the sin in his life and the sin in his heart. And everybody here knows what I'm talking about. He's made a, a whip for himself and he's basically beating himself up, whipping himself, bringing bloody scars and bloody wounds to his back and his body to somehow try to make atonement, to pay for his sins. And then one day, reading the New Testament, he discovers that he could never pay for his sin. He could never beat himself up enough. He could never shed enough of his own blood to pay for the guilt of his own sin. It's finally he discovers that his sins are atoned for, are paid for, if you want to use that word. He's reconciled to God. He's made, been made one with God, not through his own efforts at trying to pay for his sin, but it's through the pain and the death of Jesus Christ that his sins are washed away. And that's what, what started a whole revolution. We call it the Protestant movement, the protesting movement. And he broke away from the Roman Catholic Church and he said, it's, it's not my penance that cleanses me of my sin. It's my faith in what Jesus Christ did at the cross. It's Jesus shedding his own blood so that I can be made whole and be made clean and be purified. It's not me shedding my own blood that will do the job, but it's Jesus. And he talks about how in that moment when he recognized that Jesus had cleansed him and washed him, that he said he was free set free for the first time in his life. Free. 
Not because of what he was doing, but because of what Jesus Christ did. I want to tell you, the reason that we developed this logo as, as we did and put the red in it. Taryn was there with me, remember, when we insisted in putting a bit of red in there? I gotta tell you, I didn't tell the, the logo designer why I wanted the red in there, not this time. Because the time before, some of you remember that we had a, a logo that we were using before, but I didn't like it. Because it didn't mean anything. And the fellow, when, when, when I was called in to explain to him what it was that I wanted, he said, you know, tell me a little bit about what you believe and what do you teach and what's the Christian faith about? And I said, well, do you have any faith background? Because, well, as a matter of fact, I grew up as a Roman Catholic. And by the way, I'm not putting any Roman Catholics down, so please don't anybody even go there. But I said, I said so you, you do have some kind of a background. So I thought, oh, okay, this, this is good. He's got a background in Christianity. So therefore, I felt the liberty to tell him what it was that we believe and what we stand for. And so I said, we believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross and that he shed his blood to wash away our sins and to make, us, to make us whole and make it possible for us to come into the presence of God. Because the Bible is clear that you and I cannot come to God. You and I cannot be in the presence of God unless we're completely pure and holy. And the fact of the matter is, is nobody is. The only one who is is Jesus Christ. So listen to this. So I said, when, when we put our faith in Christ and what he's done for us, we believe that he died for us and that his righteousness becomes our righteousness. In other words, because I put my faith in Jesus, I'm as holy as Jesus is. Anybody get that this morning? And so he looks at me as if I'm speaking Chinese. He says, that is barbaric. He says, you don't really tell people this stuff, do you? I was shocked at first. I didn't know what to say. I mean, he just finished telling me he grew up in the Roman Catholic Church. I would have figured that he would have understood this. Turns out he not only didn't understand it, he thought the idea was barbaric and repulsive. Unfortunately, so many people do. But here's the thing that I've discovered, folks. The only reason that people are offended at the preaching of the cross and the shedding of Christ's blood is because they don't have any real sense of sin and the holiness of God. That's why they're offended by the cross. That's why they're offended when I talk about the shedding of Christ's blood, because they don't get how heinous their sin is. They don't understand how horrible, how dark it is. Laura and I, when we were in Greece for four and a half years, we had no television, and we had very little um, influence from the culture. So in other words, we were kind of living in a, in a holy bubble, if you will. And we lived our lives, and we communicated with people, and we didn't have that influence. And then we came back to Canada, turned on the TV, and we were utterly and completely shocked at what was on television. And what was even more shocking is that people who called themselves Christians were watching this stuff. We were shocked. Couldn't believe it. Remember, actually, remember visiting with some family in Toronto, and they were watching Smokey and the Bandit, I think, which I think by today's terms is pretty, pretty tame stuff compared to what's out there now. But I was, I was so shocked and so mortified and so offended, I had to actually leave the room, and I couldn't believe that they were watching this stuff. I, could, I wish I could tell you this morning that I uh, still feel as offended by it, but guess what? living in this culture where we're bombarded by perversion. And you know what I'm talking about. And don't anybody here say, oh, what are you talking about? Because you know what I'm talking about. 
You cannot turn on the television. You cannot, you cannot go to work and have a discussion with somebody. You cannot turn on your computer without being bombarded by perversion, by sexual innuendo. You know what I'm talking about. Guess what, folks? To us, we're used to it. Our hearts are calloused, and it maybe doesn't mean anything to us anymore. But I'm going to tell you to a holy and pure God, this is unacceptable. And so you and I need to be purified. You and I need to be made whole. You and I need to understand how evil evil is. You and I need to understand how dark and how perverted and how black sin is, but we don't understand it. And so what you and I need to understand is what a holy and pure God we we serve. The best way that I can help you understand how dark sin is and how dark evil is is by drawing your attention to an earthly example of what, what sin looks like. Back in 1989, March 24th, in fact, 1989, the Exxon Valdez crashed into a, into a rock, uh, actually a reef, it was Sounds Bly Reef in Prince William Sound. And that tanker spilled about 11 million gallons of crude oil. It's been called one of the very greatest, if not the greatest, uh, environmental disaster of all time. The oil spilled out in a pristine region. By pristine, we mean it was untouched by man. It was gorgeous. It was pure. It's the closest, closest example that I could tell you of something that's holy. This is a region who's, uh, who had a habitat for uh, salmon, sea otters, seals, and seabirds. And once that oil began to pour out, we're looking at 28,000 square kilometers of ocean contaminated by oil, covered by oil. The coastline was covered in oil. Do you know how much coastline was covered in oil and how many birds and animals were touched? They don't even have a count on how many animals were, were touched by the blackness of this oil spill. But folks, I can tell you that it's 21,000 kilometers or 2,100 kilometers of, of land that was touched by that oil spill. We're talking about an oil spill that would go from Winnipeg all the way to Vancouver. Now, get a picture in your mind and in your heart just how dark and how evil sin is. We were horrified. The pictures on the news all the time and people running to the rescue of, of these, uh, these animals, sea otters and seals and seabirds. And you saw them washing the animals down and, and in some cases providing them with knitted vests. Yes, that's right. We had women all over knitting vests for these animals because... Their fur was damaged by the oil. Folks, listen to me. This is exactly like sin. Far-reaching effects. Black, dark, evil. Hurts and offends everything and everybody. In fact, there's people here today who know the effects of sin because you were molested as a child. You were hurt. You were abused. And some of you even now are experiencing that. And you experience abuse in the workforce and in your family maybe. I don't know. But you understand the powerful effect of sin and how black and how horrible it is. Folks, listen to me. It's for this reason. 
that Jesus Christ came to this earth so that anybody who wants it, anybody who wants to be made clean, anybody who wants their guilt and their shame cleansed away can come to Christ. He, prayed, he paid a price that you and I could not pay. Do you know why? Because Jesus was perfect. He was without sin. He was the only one that could pay the price for your sin. He's the only one that could wash your heart clean. If you're sitting here today feeling guilt because of your sin, feeling shame, if you're sitting here today rocked by guilt, it consumes you. You think about it all the time. If you're sitting here today, you've made promises to God. God, I'll never do that again. I'll never. If, God, if only you'll help me this time. But God, if you'll only come through for me this time, I'll never do it again. Listen to me. You will. You will do it again and again and again. Because what you need is not more willpower. What you need is Jesus Christ to cleanse your sins. You need Jesus Christ to forgive you. You need Jesus Christ to give you new life. Remember I said last week, I can tell somebody who's been born again, somebody who's become a Christian, because they talk about them, their old self like it was another person altogether. They'll say, oh, before I became a Christian, the old me would have done this or said that or been like this. But since I've been born again, since I've become a Christian, I'm a new person. Listen to me, folks. That is what the atonement is all about. That's what the shedding of Christ's blood is all about. It's about giving you a new life, making you a new person. Washing away your guilt and your shame. It's a bit, Pastor, I feel like I gotta, I gotta suffer. I gotta pay the price. I've gotta, listen to me. Jesus Christ paid the price. That's why he went to the cross. So that year after year after year, we don't have to go and sacrifice a goat, a sheep, or a bull. Jesus sacrifices once and for all. Now listen to me. There's, there are, there's a new a new breed of Christian arising right now, a new movement in the church, and it's called the Hebrew Roots, Hebrew Roots Church. They, they all have various teachings and believe certain things, but here's what they all have in common. They believe that we need to return to our Jewish roots because Christianity came out of Judaism. They need... They believe we need to recover the original Jewishness of Christianity. And in many cases, they will elevate the Torah, that is the law of Moses, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They will, they will put that above the New Testament. In fact, they'll say that we have got to keep the laws of Moses if we're going to truly please God. They believe that the foundational teaching of the church has got to be the Torah. Can I tell you something today? Jesus Christ did not come to do away with the law. He did not come to destroy the law. He came to fulfill it. Now here's the problem with these Hebrew roots churches, going back to the Hebrew roots. First of all, it's not biblical. Secondly, it completely ignores massive passages of the New Testament. They teach that to live a life that pleases God we need to observe the Torah, which means what? It means that we've got to keep, start keeping the Sabbath. That means our Sabbath is on Saturdays. It means we need to celebrate the Jewish feasts and the festivals. We need to start keeping the dietary laws. We've got to start avoiding the paganism of Christianity. That's right. I said the paganism of Christianity. You ask, what is that? Well, they believe that celebrating Easter and celebrating Christmas is pagan. 
I'm going to tell you this before anybody wants to have a debate with me on this. If we choose to celebrate the birth of Christ and celebrate the death and resurrection of Christ, I don't care. I don't care what you think. You cannot tell me that that's a bad thing to do. But don't take my word for it. Here's what the Bible says. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. He says this in Colossians 2, 16 and 17. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are a shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Listen, what's he saying, basically? He's saying, listen, at the end of the day, what really matters is not what Sabbaths, what, what, what days you celebrate, what festivals you celebrate, what foods you eat or don't eat. What matters is this, is that you put your faith in Jesus Christ and you're doing what Jesus says for you to do. The book of Galatians is all about people who think that in order to be a Christian, they gotta go back to the Jewish roots. And that's why Paul says to the Galatians, he says, who on earth has bewitched you, you foolish Galatians? What are you returning to the Old Testament for when there's a New Testament? The New Testament in Christ's blood. You have new life, not because you're observing the laws, but because you put it your faith in Jesus who's perfect. Listen to me, if anything, if anything, We recognize that nobody has ever been able to keep the laws of God over all these years. So why then did God give us the laws? I'll tell you why God gave us his laws. It's to show us what it means to be holy. It's to show us what it means to live by his standards. So folks, listen to me. You say, well, pastor, does that mean I don't have to keep the laws or I can just ignore the Ten Commandments? No, I didn't say that. Here's what, here's what happens when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within you. And guess what happens? You not only keep the letter of the law, you not only keep the Ten Commandments, but you even keep the spirit of the law, which means you don't just not commit adultery, you don't even commit adultery in your heart. You see the difference? You can't keep the laws of God. You don't have the ability. But when Jesus Christ comes and dwells in your heart, when you put your faith in the work that Jesus did on the cross and you stop putting your faith in your own ability to follow God, it's a game changer, folks. Because I'm gonna tell everybody here today, you cannot do it on your own. You cannot be a follower of Christ in your own strength. You cannot please God in your own power. You need the help of God. And the way that you get it is simply by putting your faith in what Jesus Christ has done for you. And suddenly the Spirit of God kicks in in your life and starts empowering you to live a life that's pleasing and holy and acceptable to him. So you say, well, Pastor, can you just explain to me exactly then why Jesus had to die? He died for two reasons, folks. Number one, to take your place. We call it substitutional atonement or vicarious atonement. Those are just fancy uh, theological terms, which means this. Jesus died so that you didn't have to die. Pretty good deal, isn't it? It's the free gift of God, people. And this is what cross church preaches. This is what it's all about. This is foundational to who we are. It's foundational to who you are. So when someone comes to you and says, what does it mean to be a follower of Christ? Who are you? You're gonna say, 
I am a sinner saved by grace. Jesus Christ has washed my sins away and I've been made righteous, I've been made pure, I've been made holy because Christ spilled his blood for me. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Folks, you and I are righteous because of what God has done, because of what Jesus has done and you put your faith in what Jesus has done for you. That's what makes you pure. That's what makes you holy. But folks, it's it's even more than that. Jesus was your substitute for you. So rather than than you dying on the cross for your sin, Jesus died on the cross for your sin so that you could become alive. You could become spiritually alive. The second part of all this, folks, is that Jesus died as a legal requirement. Remember what I said in Romans chapter 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Jesus satisfied the justice of God. Remember, God is not just a loving God, he is a just God. And folks, I'm gonna tell you, someday when you and I die and go to heaven, we're going to a holy place where there is no sin. Did you get that? And so that, listen to me, this is why, contrary to what so many people think, not everybody goes to heaven. Now that's a shocker, isn't it? Because a lot of you thought, well, you know, we lived a good life, she lived a good life, she was in heaven. No, she's not. Not unless she's put her faith in Jesus Christ. Not unless she's satisfied the justice of God. And so Jesus died on the cross to take away your sins and mine. Now listen to me, this is amazing. Ready? Do you remember the last words that Jesus uttered on the cross before he breathed his last? He said what? It is finished. It is finished. What was he saying? Well, actually, the Greek word, tetelestai, is a term that everybody in Jesus' day would have known and understood. It is finished is a good translation, but it's not the best. And I'll tell you why. Because here's what everybody would have known. Anybody who ever went to market, anybody who ever went and purchased anything, they would know that when they purchased something, the shop owner would take that receipt and write across the top of the receipt, to the last die, which means it's paid in full. When Jesus Christ was hanging on the cross, he was thinking about you. He was thinking about me. And he said, it's paid in full. Nothing else has to be paid. And all who put their faith in what Jesus did in the shedding of his blood, all who put their faith in Jesus. That one, Jesus says, it's been paid in full. There's no other debt. You're free. You're free. Your sins have been washed away. I want you to know today that if you have not experienced that yet, 
you need to experience that right away. You need to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I've tried to live this life on my own and I, am, I really suck at it. I just can't get it right. I fail and fail and fail and fail. And here's what I know, is that all who come to Christ and confess their sin, the Bible said he's faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Folks, this is our faith. This is what we believe. This is who you are. You've been redeemed. You've been purchased by Jesus Christ with his own blood. Every time you look at that logo now, you're going to remember, I've been purchased by the blood of Christ. Now, here's, here's, a, here's what I'm going to close with. When I was in Bible school and learning how to preach, one of the things that the homiletics teacher, the, the preaching teacher taught us, he said, is you always have to give, have an application so that when people hear your sermon, they know now what to do. Okay? Before I can tell you what you need to do, I've got to first of all tell you who you are. But if there were any kind of application from what I'm saying today, well, first of all, it would be if you haven't made that step of faith where you've surrendered your life to Christ, then you need to do that so that your sins can be washed away, so that you can be made right with God. But if you've already done that, here's what needs to happen. Are you ready for this? We come to church every Sunday, and we sing songs, and we worship. But what a lot of people don't know is why we do this. They don't understand what the worship is all about. Why do we sing these songs? I'll tell you why. I'm going to explain to you what the foundation of worship is. At the very foundation of worship is recognizing and thanking God for what Jesus Christ has done for you. He shed his blood for you. And so every Sunday when you come to church and when you begin to worship and sing songs, what, you're, what you've got to do and what you've got to understand is that the very foundation of all worship is saying, thank you, God, for sending your son who shed his blood for me. Because the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. We worship God because our sins are forgiven because of what Jesus did for us. If you've never read the book of Revelation, you need to go read that. Because here's what you're going to discover. Throughout the book of Revelation, there's all kinds of singing going on. All kinds of worship. And what is the worship about? One thing. The worship is about Jesus Christ shedding his blood for us. Listen to this. Revelation 5, 9. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take, take the scroll and to open its seals. Listen. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. What will they be singing in heaven? When we get to heaven, what do you think we're going to be singing about? I'll tell you. We're going to be singing praises to God and thanking him that Jesus shed his blood to save us and to wash our sins away. Would you stand with me, please? Enshrined in our logo, those red bars representing the blood of Christ. 
Folks, listen to me. We're not for the shed blood of Christ on the horizontal member, then we cannot celebrate the life, the green in the cross in the vertical member. We have eternal life. Our sins are forgiven because Jesus died for us and shed his blood. For that, you need to praise God. And when you leave here today, rejoice and praise him and thank him that you're clean. If you've got guilt and shame today, right now you can confess it to God privately right where you are and God can cleanse your heart and make you completely clean as though you'd never sinned before. Father, thank you. Thank you for the atonement, that work that makes us at one with you. At one mint. It's reconciliation. It's being able to be back in fellowship with Almighty God. It's a, turn to, a return to the Garden of Eden before Adam and Eve fell, when man and woman, in their innocence, walked with God and enjoyed the presence of Almighty God. It's a return to that. And it happens because Jesus Christ was willing to shed his blood for us. So thank you today, God, for reconciling us to yourself. Thank you, God, for Jesus. God, I pray that as we leave this place, we will go with, with a profound sense of gratitude, of joy for what Jesus has done for us. And we commit ourselves to you now, thanking you for Jesus. And everyone said it with me. Tell the person beside you, thank God for Jesus. <laughs> <laughs>